0: Uh, could I—this is a little different here, but it's Father's Day, and I'd like to ask all the women, all the women to see, be seated, and all the men to stay, keep standing unless you really have issues with that. i <laughs> got not going to call anyone out, but I'd like to ask the women in the house right now to look around and adopt three men or so to pray for right now. And we just want to serve these men through the power that God's given to us in prayer, okay? Look around, make sure everyone's covered and there are some men who maybe aren't standing or can't be standing. Make sure that they're covered as well. Just look around. And then agree with me in your heart and mind about the prayer I'm gonna pray on behalf of these men. Lord, we thank you for each of these uh, men who are standing here this morning. Thank you, God, that you have loved them from the very start. You've been involved in their life from the very start. And undoubtedly they, like all of us, have made a lot of mistakes and have stumbled and fallen. But your forgiving, loving heart has always been there to restore them. We pray, Lord God, just a covering on all of them, Lord. We thank you for those who are fathers and we just pray blessing on them and give them wisdom and give them your character to pour out your love on their children. There are some, God, here who maybe want to be fathers but can't or were fathers but no longer are or who just have pain around that issue. Don't know why this is hitting me so hard right now, but Lord, we just pray, God, for healing in their heart. Restore them, Lord God. Touch those wounds. Put your arms around them. Comfort them, Lord. Restore them. And let them know, Lord, that the minute they yield to you, all is forgiven. And, Lord, be working to restore and to heal them. And, Lord, in a culture that's got so many screwy ideas about what it is to be a man and all sorts of macho junk, Lord, would you just be revealing your Father's heart to these men uh, to show what a real man is, what real courage is, what real strength is, and that it looks like Jesus Christ. And it looks like self-sacrifice. And it looks like humility. And it looks like vulnerability. And, Lord, God, free us from the bondage of a lot of the lies that our culture has about what it is to be a male. And Father, we just pray on every other issue in their life, whatever that may be, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, employment, Lord, whether it's relationship issues. God, uh, if there's any bondages in their life that are, are not yet broken, we pray, God, that those would end today and free them in Jesus' name, Lord God. Just liberate them to be the people that you've called them to be, Lord God spiritual struggles that they may be going through, decisions they gotta make. Lord, you know their heart, you know their issues, you know their life, and we just right now use the power of prayer to pray blessing on them, minister to them, meet those needs, kingdomize them, as we once again thank you for them in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You may be seated. Amen. 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 All right, this morning, we'll be getting into a little more worship a little bit later on, but uh, here's the time when we're going to just break open the Word. That's what we do here within those church. Nothing fancy. We're just studying the book of Luke. And last week, we looked at Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And since we're never in a hurry around here, we're going to look at those passages again uh, this morning. I want to, for reasons that will become clear here in a moment, I, I'm going to do a little mini-sermon before the major sermon, if that's okay with you guys. You okay with that? Uh, it, it's a little prelude. I just want to call attention to the fact that the passage, if if you are here last week, you saw that the uh, passage that we're looking at centers on uh, worrying and how to be free of worrying. And Jesus calls our attention to the birds, the ravens specifically. And he says, look at the ravens, live like the ravens, live as carefree as the ravens because they don't toil or spin and yet God feeds them. And just notice that phrase, God feeds them. Uh, It's a theme that you find throughout the Bible that God loves animals and takes care of animals. In fact, the Bible often kind of portrays animals in the world as sort of God's pets, and he cares for them and calls us to care for them. Uh, In Psalms 104, it says, All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. God loves animals. You may not have uh, noticed this before, but some of the covenants in the Bible involve animals. Uh, they're included in the covenant. God makes covenants with animals. It shows you something about his high regard for them. For example, in Hosea 2, God makes a covenant with human beings, but also with the birds of the air and the livestock and every creature on the ground. And the covenant is that he's gonna, uh, there'll be a day that will come when there'll be no more war, no more violence, and there'll be peace on this earth. But, but God includes them in, in covenants. He loves animals. One of the reasons he gives for not destroying Nineveh in uh, Jonah chapter 4 is that there's so many animals that live there. God cares about and loves animals. You find in the Bible uh, a number of rules uh, given in the Old Testament, laws about how to treat, animal, how, how to treat animals. Don't muzzle the ox while it's, you know, uh, while it's working and, and feeding it right and caring for it. You find, you find uh, a concern expressed in the law of God about animals. And in fact, and this is a point that we bring up with some frequency here at Willow Hills Church, The first mandate ever given to human beings was to have loving dominion over the earth and over the animals. We were to uh, extend God's loving care to the earth and the animals. He wants to be Lord over the whole earth and Lord over the animal kingdom, but he wants to do it through us. So that, that is our first mandate. And I've always believed, still believe, that one of the surest benchmarks for how we're doing as a species in terms of our relationship with God concerns how we're treating animals. And on that benchmark, we're not doing so hot, folks. But uh, God cares about the animals. We're kind of conditioned in our culture to sort of just see them as, as uh, useful. We see them in utilitarian categories, but they have an intrinsic value that needs to be recognized. All that is to say this. Uh, you'll see that there's an extra camera around here. There's some folks around here with, with cameras and things of that sort. There's a documentary they're doing that has to do with the impact of faith on the treatment of animals. And they wanted to come here and, uh, and, and kind of see what we're about. And they want to interview folks. Uh, and so after the service, if you have a strong conviction about the call of, of, of believers to care for animals, whatever that looks like, uh, and you want to share that, they'll be outside. The, the door's over here. And you just, uh, if you're willing to get your, your face on a documentary, it may show up there. And just uh, tell them what you think about uh, God's attitudes towards animals and our responsibility towards animals and things of that sort. Okay? All right. There you go. God bless the animals. All right. This morning, I want to entitle this message, Trusting Dad. And only those here who know how stupid I am will believe me when I tell you that I actually put together this sermon and didn't realize that this was Father's Day. This is... (laughs) I'm giving God all the glory. This wasn't even clever on my part, okay? I I was so stupid God could use me uh, in order to have a Father's Day sermon on the day that is Father's Day, but I didn't know it. So there you go. There really is a God. (laughs) The fact that I'm a pastor of a church shows that there is a God. Proof. All right. So uh, this is on trusting Dad. And we're talking about uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, which are all about worry. And last week we talked about how, how uh, damaging worry is, how pervasive worry is, how it shortens our life and things of that sort. We gave some practical tips on dealing with worry, and then we kind of did an overview of Jesus' uh, Jesus's approach to worry. Uh, what I'm going to do this morning is go deeper and look at the foundation of Jesus' approach to being free of worry and anxiety. It's, it's all about trusting Dad. So we're reading from Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 22. And this is the TNIV version. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. Don't worry about your body, what you'll wear. Life is way more than food, and the body is way more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap. They don't have store rooms or barns, like that rich farmer that Jesus talked about in the passage before this one. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? By worrying, you can and will detract hours and days and months and maybe years from your life, but you can't add an hour to your life by worrying. So Jesus says, since you cannot do this very little thing, adding one hour... Why do you worry about the rest? It just serves no useful purpose. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And just pause for a moment. We we, we last week uh, talked uh, about this, that... Jesus isn't here saying that we don't need to worry because uh, God promises that everything's going to go well for us. We're always going to have enough food. We're always going to have enough clothing. If we just, you know, put him first and then everything will be taken care of, he's not saying that. Uh, because after all, ravens, while God feeds them, they, they do sometimes starve to death. And the lilies of the field, the flowers, while they're beautiful while they live, they get burned up in the oven, they wilter away. Uh, and so uh, and Jesus knows this, and Jesus knows that there are godly people who trust in God, who nevertheless die, uh, who who are delivered up for persecution, as Jesus said his own disciples would be, who sometimes even starve to death. Uh, so Jesus isn't here saying, hey, the world's a secure place, don't worry. What he's saying is this world is a very insecure place. But you still don't have to worry. The point of the passage isn't the security of ravens and flowers because they're not particularly secure. The point of the passage is the carefreeness of ravens and flowers. And so Jesus is saying, don't don't worry. Put, Put worry aside. Trust in God like the flowers do, like the ravens do. Live carefree. And when you die, you die. But see, ravens and flowers don't worry about that, which is why they can be fully alive when they're alive. So also, you're going to die, but uh, don't worry about that. Don't sweat that. Know that you're way more valuable than the flowers. You're way more valuable than the birds, so so don't sweat that. It's just death, and there's a lot more coming. All right, and then comes the passage of Scripture I'm going to zero in on here this morning. Jesus says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. The pagan world. But your father knows that you need them. So seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. And when you die, you die. Do not be afraid, little flock. Don't be anxious, little flock. Don't worry, little flock. Why? Because your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And that's the crucial phrase. And if your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom, why don't you just go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor? You've already got the kingdom. Why hang on on to that stuff any longer? Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be as well. Pray with me here for a moment. Lord, for every person in this auditorium right now and every person who will be downloading this sermon on the internet and every person who's watching on television and and every person who's going to hear it by some other means, Lord, um, uh, we just pray, God, that you'd open up our minds and open up our hearts, open up our lives to receive your word. As we're listening to this, help us to stay present in the moment and be aware of your presence and yielded to everything you have to say. And, Lord, we pray, God, that this message would have your authority, not any just human authority, and that you would use it, God, to free us completely from the plague of anxiety, to be the carefree, healthy children of our heavenly dad, to live free and to illustrate to the world what it is to trust in you and to be free. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. The pagan world chases after all these things, Jesus says. The pagan world. That that refers to the entire world outside of the reign of God. There's the reign of God, the kingdom of God, everything outside of that, where everyone is Lord of their own life, that is the pagan world. Uh, The pagan world refers to people for whom this world and this life is all that is really real to them. What is real to them is this world and this life. Now, they may believe in God or gods, most pagans have. And they may, you know, practice some religion, most pagans have. And they may even believe in Jesus, many pagans do. But those are just theoretical beliefs that they have. They don't really impact their life. What impacts their life, because what is real to them, is this world, this life, here and now. Pagans live in the story of survival and success. First order of business is to survive here and now. Second order of business is that once we take care of that, let's try to be successful here and now. The pagan story is the story of of living to avoid as much pain as possible and to acquire as much pleasure and comfort as possible. It's a story of looking out for number one and looking out for your own self interest and meeting your own needs. In the pagan world, this world here now, this life here now is all that is real. And so this world and this life is all that is important because it's the only thing that's real. And so it means that in the pagan worldview, uh, this world and this life and the things that it has to offer, that is where your treasure is. That's what's important to you because that's all that's real to you. And therefore, that's where your heart is. That's where your passion is. That's what you think about because that's all that's real to you. You have theoretical beliefs about other stuff, but what's real to you is here and now. So that's what's important. So that's your treasure. So that's where your heart is. And if that's where your heart is, then you can't help but chase after stuff and long for stuff and try to acquire stuff. There's nothing else for you to chase after. You can't help but chase after food and, and, and worry about shelter and, and, and quest after clothing and, 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 and long for wealth and power and, and hang on to your youth and vitality and worry about your reputation and worry about your sex appeal and trying to get power over others and worrying about politics and the state of the world and things of that sort. You can't help but chase after those things because the story you're living in says that that is the stuff that's really important. You may believe that it's not important, you may even feel bad about the fact that you're so obsessed with this kind of stuff, but that's not going to change the fact that you're chasing after this stuff because what's really real to you is this stuff. That's what's important. And if that stuff is what you chase after, if that's where your treasure is and that's where your heart is, well, then, then you can't help but worry. You're going to have to worry because the treasure that you're hanging on to is a very tenuous treasure, a very vulnerable treasure. You have to worry about things like moths, that eat your clothing and, and thieves that steal your stuff. You have to worry about aging because you're using, losing your vitality and eventually you're going to die. You have to worry about terrorists who can bomb us at any moment and the economy that is collapsing. You've got to worry about the proliferation of, of, of nuclear war and know-how and you've got to worry about the politics of the world and you've got to worry about global warming and you've got to worry about pandemics that might break out at any moment and you've got to worry about collapsing bridges and a million other things. Why? Because the stuff that's really real to you and therefore the stuff that's important to you is threatened by all of that. You have to worry. Live in a state of constant anxiety. And even if you were one of the lucky ones who managed to get the treasure of this world, you got it all right there and it feels pretty secure, you're still going to have anxiety about it. On some level, you're still going to feel empty with it. On some level. Because you know, you know on some level that eventually you're going to lose the whole thing. You can try to forget about that. Most pagans do. Try to block it out of your mind. That's what most pagans do. Try to drown out that thought. Most pagans do. They want to talk about this. But you know on some level that it's just a matter of time before you lose the whole thing. Last I checked, the death rate is right around 100%. Is that true? I I, I heard a report of that. It's it's pretty close to 100%. 99.999 to the 100 billionth power. Uh, You're going to die. And then the pagan mindset says, oh, yes, but my life will go on through my children. Well, you know, they die, too. <laughs> your grandkids, dead. Great-great-great-grandkids, dead. Eventually, the sun will explode and suck in the whole solar system, become something of a black hole, and that's what's going to happen to every solar system in every galaxy. And so the whole thing runs down. The whole universe turns into a black nothingness. What a happy story this is that we're living in. The pagan story just doesn't end well, folks. It's just <laughs> kind of abysmal. And at and some level, you know that. Every treasure just fades away and is ultimately meaningless. Jesus invites us into a different story. If you're living in the pagan story, you can't help but quest after stuff and worry about stuff. Jesus is saying, come over here to a very different kind of story, a different way of doing life. This is the story of trusting dad. Because the foundation of everything Jesus is saying has to do with trusting our heavenly dad. The punchline, the foundation comes in verse 34 when he says, don't be afraid, don't be worried, don't be anxious, little flock. Here's why. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The reason you can be carefree and not chase after stuff and not worry about stuff is because you can know that your heavenly dad loves you, delights in you, and delights in giving you the kingdom. This is the dad that Jesus and Paul both called Abba, which is the Aramaic. For an intimate, uh, it's an intimate word for father, but that could be translated dad. He is our heavenly dad. He wants to be that close to us. And so this is the foundation for being worry-free. So I want to look at this passage. Jesus says, your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. The Greek word there is eudokeo, which means to be delighted in something or to find pleasure in something. So Jesus is saying your father is delighted. It gives him pleasure to give you the kingdom. It means that we don't have to beg for it. We don't have to plead for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to impress him for it. It means he's not giving it to us reluctantly as an obligation he has to fulfill. It's not like there's a rule on the universe that says this is what God is supposed to do. No, God gets something out of this deal. He gets pleasure. He delights in giving us the kingdom. Uh, It's Father's Day, so let me ask the fathers in the house. Fathers, uh, do you... Do your children have to beg you for you to love them? Do they have to plead with you for you to protect them? Do they have to twist your arm uh, for you to provide for them? Uh, Are you really reluctant on giving them Christmas presents and birthday presents? Uh, If you are, we have a counseling center I really want you to to go to uh, and check this out. Because, see, a loving father would say, of course not. That's idiocy. A loving father and a loving mother delights in their children and you delight in providing for your children. And you delight in protecting your children. And you delight in giving gifts to your children. That's the heart of love. Love loves to be poured out. Love finds pleasure in being poured out towards the beloved. And so a loving parent, a loving father, loving mother is one who delights in their children and delights in being poured out towards them. When a child is convinced that mom and or dad love them that way and delight in them. When a child is convinced that the parents aren't just fulfilling an obligation, when, when the child's convinced that they're not just sort of the ward of the family, uh, that you know, they're, they're, there's duties being performed for them, when a child is really convinced that mom and dad delight over them and delight in giving them stuff, that they're not just a bother, that child has a security that nothing else can give. And that child is able to be carefree uh, and, and to live with, 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 with an abandon in a way that other children aren't. This child may skin its knee and may get teased on the playground and that won't be pleasant. And bad things can maybe happen to the family like the house getting burned down or wrecked by a tornado. And so this child will go through tough times like every human does. And in those tough times, the child will cry and, and respond as the child must. But the child won't live in fear of those things. And the child will recover those, from those things fairly easily because the child, as long as the child knows that mom and or dad delights in them and delights in protecting them and providing for them, that child's going to live in a world that is overall secure. And they're going to feel safe. Even if they don't know how, they're going to say, you know what, somehow, way, the world's going to be okay. Show me a child who is confident that the parents delight in the child, and I'll show you a child who's carefree and pretty much free of the anxieties of this world. But show me a child who isn't confident that mom and or dad love them like that. A child who feels like they're a bother. A a child who feels like the parents are just putting up with them. And I'll show you a child who's got a whole lot on its mind. Because their world, whatever else is going on, their world is somewhat threatening and insecure. Uh, I'll show you a child who worries about skinning their knee and worries about kids teasing them on the playground and maybe worries about tornadoes because there's just not an internal security to fight off that kind of anxiety. I, I had a weird upbringing in that I had kind of both going on. Um, I had a father who made me feel very secure and a stepmother who didn't. Uh, my father traveled for a week or two at a time. And as some of you know, because I've shared this before, I never felt like my stepmother um, delighted in me at all. I didn't feel like she particularly liked me. I certainly didn't like her very much. Uh, It was kind of war from the word go growing up. I think from the age of two, she was married to my father. When I was two to twelve, so for ten years there, and something happened to her. I think she had a breakdown of some sort because she was different before she married my dad and different after she married my dad. But the years that she was married to my dad were not very pleasant, and and the, the I never felt any kind of love there. But even worse. She had sometimes when, we, when, when she'd get mad, something snapped in her and she became kind of a monster. And sometimes she would have bizarre forms of punishment, way out of proportion to whatever you did wrong. And sometimes you didn't even do anything wrong and you still got blasted. And so in my, my world was kind of arbitrary and, I, and there was a sort of a level of anxiety that I lived in when my dad wasn't around. I spent a lot of time away from home out in the woods playing because I, I felt way safer out there than when I came home. But when my dad would come home, travel for two weeks at a time, but he'd come home for three or four days every other week. And the main thing I remember feeling is I'd breathe like a sigh of relief because I'm safe. The the abuse never happened when he was there. I was like, ah, dad's home. And I always felt like dad uh, loved me. Uh, He delighted in me. I felt like it wasn't a bother for him to play catch with me. And it wasn't a bother to build models with me. I felt like he wanted to do that. I wish he would have been around more. But when he was there, I felt like, like he, that I had worth to him. And that gave a sense of security and peace, even though the rest of my life was very insecure. And I just want to say, fathers and mothers, parents... Whatever else you communicate to your kids, whatever else gets, comes across, however you, what decisions you make about disciplining and how you're going to raise your family, whatever else you do, this has got to be done. Number one issue right here. The child has got to know that you delight in them. That they're not just a bother. You're not just doing this because there's a law that says you're supposed to, or a social expectation, that you're not just putting up with them. They've really got to believe that you delight in them. I, and sometimes, I, you know, I've been a parent and a grandparent, and sometimes you are just doing it because you're supposed to. I got that, but don't let them know that. No, they, they've got to believe. <laughs> Whatever else goes on, they've got to be communicated. You have intrinsic worth. I delight in you. You don't delight in everything they do. Of course not. And the older they get, the more that's true. <laughs> but, and you've got to confront stuff like that. But I, I like to use this analogy uh, that... that it, Consider every time you've got to discipline them and express your lack of delight in what they do. Imagine that as being sort of a quarter you take out of a piggy bank. a 25 cents you take out of a piggy bank. And every time you express a word about how you delight in them and how you love them, that's like a nickel put in the piggy bank. And don't ever run a deficit. Never try to withdraw money you haven't put in the bank because that's when you start really running into problems. The child, the kid has got to know that you delight in them. That is going to be the the major thing that will determine their outlook on life and whether or not they're going to have an easy time or a tough time trusting in their heavenly father. Uh, we, We are as carefree as we are trusting of our father and mother. And for the exact, exact same reason, the center of the kingdom life is us knowing that our heavenly dad delights in us. The center of this. Everything that Jesus teaches only makes sense if it's built on the foundation of a trust in our heavenly dad, that he delights in us and he delights in giving us the kingdom. It gives him pleasure to give us the kingdom. We don't have to beg for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to impress him for it. We don't have to twist his arm for it. He doesn't do it reluctantly or because he has to. He delights and he has pleasure in giving us the entire kingdom. We've got to have a confidence in the character of God that he really, really, really is that good. His attitude towards us is that. He delights in us. He doesn't always delight in what we do. Got that, yes. But he delights in us, and he delights in giving us the kingdom. This is a dad. This is a heavenly dad who, uh, according to the story of the prodigal son, is looking for his son to come home, though the son has squandered the entire inheritance. And, and when the, the, the father sees the son down the road, he was looking for a long time. He runs, makes a fool out of himself, running down the road towards this wayward son and comes and he embraces him. And the son's got this big speech and this big grovel, this big apology. He's going to grovel and try to earn his way back to be a servant. And the father, our father, our dad, will have nothing to do with it, Because the only thing that matters right now is that my son has returned. This is a father who delights in running towards you. He's chasing you. You think you're looking for God? You think you're chasing for God? No, he's the one pursuing you. He's been pursuing you all of your life. He's your heavenly father. Amen. And he delights in forgiving you. He delights in embracing you. He delights in restoring you. Whatever has been done. This is a, a heavenly father, Jesus says, who throws a humongous party. When he finds the lost coin and finds the lost sheep, when he finds the lost child, throws a party and all the angels in heaven rejoice. This is a heavenly dad, the Bible says, who sings over you, dances over you, claps his hands giddy over you like a, a parent over a newborn child. This is a father, a dad, who's extravagant in his love and extravagant in his grace and extravagant in his mercy, who lavishes blessings upon us. What Calvary teaches us, what the cross teaches us, is that this is a heavenly dad who has gone and will go to any extreme possible and imaginable in order to restore us into a relationship with himself. He's he's a heavenly dad who could not love us more. Jesus says he's a heavenly dad who gives us, who's pleased to give us, he delights in giving us the kingdom of God. Now, Now, look at this. I would have thought Jesus would have said, this is a father who, and this would have been great news, uh, this is the, the dad who, who will let you into his kingdom. I, that would have been good news. Like, whoa, we get to get into his kingdom. Uh, even better would have been if Jesus would have said, you know, this is a heavenly dad who uh, invites you to have a room in the kingdom. You get to have a little space in the kingdom. That would have been fantastic news. Give me the closet. And I'm fine. But Jesus says he delights in giving you the kingdom, which means... He gives you the whole kingdom. Uh, Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 1. It's God's good pleasure. He uses that phrase. God God gets something on the deal. He loves to do this. It's God's good pleasure to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. That means that there isn't a blessing that he didn't give us. If there's a blessing to be given, he, he gave it to us. If there's anything to be got, we got it. Uh, The whole thing was given to us. He is pleased and delighted to give us the kingdom. He didn't withhold anything. He says, you are my children, and I want you to inherit the whole thing, the reign of God with all of his glory and all of his beauty. And this kingdom that we have inherited, not just a part of it, but the entire thing, this kingdom we've inherited, it is the kingdom that never ends, and it's the only thing that that can be said about that. Uh, Nothing else can be said that it never ends. The kingdom never ends. This is the kingdom that... Uh, is defined by the love of God. God's love defines every square inch of this kingdom. And God's joy defines every square inch of this kingdom. And God's peace defines every square inch of this kingdom. This is a kingdom where the deepest longings of the human heart and the wildest dreams of the human heart are fulfilled. Because God gave you those longings and gave you those dreams to drive you to this kingdom. That's why you have those longings. This is the kingdom, the Bible tells us, where creation will finally be the way creation was supposed to be and will finally be the way we were supposed to be. It's a kingdom in which there'll be finally no more sickness and no more disease and no more child kidnappings and no more pandemic, no more bird flu, no more cancer, no more earthquakes, no more wars, no more violence, no more bloodshed, no more hatred, no more devil, none of the stuff that is diabolical in this world. It's a kingdom that lasts forever. It's one that the moth can't touch and the thieves can't steal and the terrorists can't bomb. It's a a kingdom that aging doesn't affect and that death doesn't affect and bad economies don't affect and that hurricanes can't affect. And even the politicians of the world can't screw this one up. It's the kingdom of God, where Jesus is Lord of lords and the King of kings. Amen. And however however bad it gets in this life, and it does get bad, it can be a veritable nightmare sometimes. But Paul has the audacity to say that, that, that uh, when the kingdom is fully come, we've already inherited it. Someday it will be brought to earth as it is in heaven. When it's fully come, it will be worth it. In fact, he says that it will be more than worth it. The sufferings of this present age, he says, can't be compared to the glory of this kingdom. In fact, the eye has never seen and the ear has never heard and it's never entered into the imagination. Paul says this, First Corinthians. Never entered into the imagination of a human being what God has in store for those who are in this kingdom. That means however good you imagine it being, you're wrong. It's better. The best you can hold for is that you're kind of going in the right direction. But, but it's never, you've never imagined what God has in store for those who are in this kingdom. Our heavenly dad is pleased, delighted, in giving us this kingdom. And the only question really is this. Do we trust him for that? Do we trust him for that? And not just trust theoretically, because pagans can trust theoretically. They can believe a ton of stuff theoretically, but still what's real to them and the story they live in is here and now. What is all important is do we trust him enough to change our stories? Do we trust him enough to wager our life on this being true? Do we trust our heavenly dad enough so that day to day, moment by moment, we stake everything on this truth? Because when we do that, we're now living in a different story. And when we live in a different story, it makes, it changes everything. Now the teachings of Jesus begin to actually make sense. See, if you're looking at it in a pagan story, nothing that Jesus says makes any sense. It sounds foolish. It's ridiculous. Trust God like the ravens. To the pagan mind, that sounds like being a bird brain. <laughs> Only a bird brain would try to live like the birds. No, thank you very much. I'll live like the rich farmer. That makes sense. I'm going to store it for myself. I'll trust my own abilities to make money. out now, what do you think, I'm an idiot? Of course, I believe in Jesus, but I have no intention of following his teachings. That's sort of the p- pagan mindset. Love your enemies. What are you nuts? If you live in the pagan story where it's all about number one, no, I will in Jesus' name blow them to Timbuktu. Uh, you know, that, that, that's just how you do that. Because his teachings don't make any sense in the pagan story. But in the kingdom story, if you're trusting, if you're trusting your heavenly dad, well, now, now it makes sense to live anxiety-free, to live carefree, If I really believe that my dad delights in me and and, and delights, my heavenly dad delights in giving me the kingdom, now it makes sense for me not to be anxious about my food or my clothing or my shelter. I'll still do what I'm supposed to do to try to get food, shelter, and clothing. I mean, that's normal, and God expects us to do that. But I'm not going to be anxious about that and worried about that because the world is not that insecure of a place with my dad in charge and he's pleased to give me the whole kingdom. I've already got that. So I'm not going to be that worried about that stuff. And it makes sense for me. If, I, if I've been given the kingdom, if the Father's pleased to give me the kingdom, well, now it makes sense for me to not have to chase the American dream. I don't have to worry about the American dream like so many people are, are worried about. I've been given the kingdom. The American dream is like, wow, boring, <laughs> Give me something I don't already have. I've got the kingdom. And if my Heavenly Father wants me to sell all that I have to give to the poor, like Jesus says here, uh, well, then then, then if he tells me that, I will do that. That's not a big deal. I don't need to cling to possessions. Why would I cling to possessions? I've been given the kingdom. Everything I could ever get, I've already got. So the house and the car and clothes and other nice stuff, I'll enjoy them, but I don't have to cling to them. And so if God wants me to relinquish them, I can relinquish them. It's no big deal. It's kind of like this. I don't know if Bill Gates has a son or not, but let's imagine he does. And I don't know how rich he is, but let's imagine that he's very rich. So, so in fact, we don't have to imagine that he is. And so he's got a son. He says, son, do you know what? Today I'm giving you my entire kingdom. $76 billion. It's all yours. Okay, this guy's, this kid's got a lot of money. Now, wouldn't it be bizarre, weird, freakazoid weird, if this son was started losing sleep over a quarter that he lost? Where's my quarter? I might lose the quarter. i got to get the quarter. i got to hang on in my quarter. You look at it. You've got $76 billion. That's a whole lot of quarters. Don't sweat the one little quarter. The analogy is this. We've been given the kingdom. It lasts forever and ever and ever. It could not be better. It's beyond your wildest imagination. Every spiritual blessing is, is there. All the longings of your heart are, are found in there. You've been given to that. All of it. Not just part of it. All of it. Don't sweat the quarter. And the quarter is the American dream. The quarter is your house. The quarter is your car. The quarter is your health. The quarter is Everything. They say the key, to, the key to happiness is to not sweat the small stuff. And I'm telling you, if you've got the kingdom, it's all small stuff. Right? You, you don't have to sweat it. If I really trust that my, my, my dad delights in me and... And delights in giving me the kingdom. I don't need to worry about my reputation. Who likes me? Who doesn't like me? How's my popularity, how popularity rating going? You know, what kind of crowd you drawing and not crying? I can let go of that because I know what he thinks about me. And if I know what God thinks about me and that lasts forever, what do I care about what you think about me or what anyone thinks about me? Let it go. What a freedom. Let it go. And if I really trust that my heavenly father delights in me and delights in giving me the kingdom, I don't need to fear aging. That, that's just bringing me closer to the full kingdom. I don't need to sweat that. I don't need to worry about death. I don't need to worry about terrorists or politics. I don't need to worry about nuclear weapons or bird flu or collapsing bridges or global warming. I can live carefree. I will address those issues. We must address those issues. It's not like we're supposed to be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. No, we're called to manifest the love of God by, by addressing those issues. So we passionately engage those issues, but we don't worry about them because ultimately we know who's in charge. And we trust him and we know his character and he delights in giving us the kingdom. He's already given us the kingdom. If I trust that my heavenly dad delights in me and delights in giving me the kingdom, now I can live carefree, but only now. So long as I'm in the pagan story, as much as I might want to be carefree, I can't be. I have to chase after stuff. But if I truly internalize, become convinced that the ultimate reality is my father's delight in giving me the kingdom. Now, I can let go of things. I can live carefree, which means I'm free to live in the moment. I'm free to live passionately. I'm free like a healthy child with healthy parents. I'm free to, to dance with abandon. I, I'm free to take risks. I'm free to, to be reckless in my love. I'm free to not cling to anything, including my own life. And when you're free to not even cling to your own life, now you're free to really live. As long as you need to live, then you're going to be to some degree choked up. It's going to squelch life. But if you lose your life, you find it. Try to cling to life, you lose it. Lose your life, you find it. And this is the carefreeness of the kingdom. Let me end with just uh, two other words. Uh, a person asked me last week this. They said, "Okay, look at I. Okay, I get you that if, if we are kingdom people, we don't need to worry." Got that? But what I worry about is, am I a kingdom person? What do you have to say about that? Well, she she said. I worry that I'm not a kingdom person. I asked her, why, why are you worried about that? And she said, well, because my life is a train wreck. You look back and everywhere, there's been a, a, a trail of hurt and pain and woe that I'm responsible for and I've done some terrible things and even now I, I, I sometimes lose my temper and do some terrible things and I just don't think I'm a kingdom person. And it's so important, folks, that we frame every issue in the context of Heavenly Dad who delights in giving us the kingdom. What's your paradigm of God? Because see, what, what I shared with her was this. If one of my children came to me and said, Dad, I don't know if I'm really your child anymore because I've hurt a lot of people and I've done a lot of bad things. I still struggle with a lot of things. If one of my kids came to me and said to me exactly what this lady said, uh, first of all, my heart would break And then I would give them a bear hug that would last three hours that they couldn't wiggle from. And all the while, I'd be shouting in their ear, I delight in you. I love you. I don't always delight in what you do, but you got to know that that doesn't affect my delight in you. I love you. I care for you. I delight in pouring myself out. I'll take a bullet for you and a drop of a hat if I had to. And, and, And nothing you do would ever change that. I would just shower on them and and what this lady needs to to see and what every person who worries about that needs to have is is a trust in God's character, the heavenly father, the heavenly dad who loves you like that. And if I care this about my children, how much more, infinitely more, does the heavenly dad care about his children? Trust in dad's character. Another person asked me about loved ones. How do you get free of obsessive worry about your loved ones? How do you know your kids are going to be okay in this world and in the next world? How can you not worry about that? First of all, you've just got to know that it's one thing to be concerned about it, but worrying is not going to help them or you. It's just going to suck life. But here, more than ever, we need to trust Dad. Look at your love for your loved ones, whether it's a spouse or kids or, or whatever. Your love is a pale, pale reflection of God's infinite love for them. And your desire to have them in the kingdom is a pale reflection of God's desire to have them in the kingdom. And so there comes a point where yes, you do all you can do and you pray for them but in the end of the day you've got to surrender them to your heavenly dad and know that this is a dad. Remember Calvary. A dad who will go to, has gone to, will always go to the furthest extreme possible to rescue them, to redeem them, to turn them around. This is a God who's persistent and is very, very smart and he's very, very wise and he doesn't give up. This is the, the heavenly Abba heart of, of, of God the Father. Trust that he will be at work in their lives at every moment. And I don't know how, like Greg Wallen said in the first song here in Glory Bound, I, you know, we, I, we don't have to have all the answers to things. I don't know how this works, but I do know this. At the very end of things, the Bible shows us that he'll wipe away every tear from our eye and there'll be no sorrow and there'll be no heartache. There's no more loneliness there. There, there isn't any eternally, uh, va- eternal vacuums. When the kingdom is fully come, it's just one story and it's a good story. And so I can tell you on the authority of God's word To trust God now and know that like a little kid for whom the world is going crazy, but they know that their father delights in them, that kid will know that somehow it's going to be okay. And I'm here to tell you that somehow it's going to be okay. Somehow this thing ends very, very well. Trust your heavenly dad. Will you close your eyes for a moment? I I, I want to revisit the question I, I ended with last week, and that is simply this. And Holy Spirit, will you right now kind of reveal to us what we need to know to take home from this message what we need to take home? What are you worried about? And ask the Holy Spirit to, me to show you one thing that causes you anxiety. And when that thing comes to mind, the second question is a part of the first question, and that is, what are you clinging to? Because all anxiety is a result of clinging. What I think the Lord would want to, to know here and now is will you trust him enough to open up your palms and surrender that to him? Let it go. Let it go. Can you trust him enough to let it go? Let everything and everyone go. Now, if you're supposed to have it, you'll still have it. Trust him. He doesn't... Some. Some people have this picture of God that he just likes to make us miserable. I'm going to take it because you like it so much. No, no, no. no, no. He, he delights in giving you stuff. So, but, be, but be willing, if, if it has to go, it goes. And eventually we lose everything. So live like that now. Die to yourself and surrender it all up to him. We let it go? And I just want you to breathe in the peace that, that, that comes. You just, notice this. The peace that comes when you open up, when you quit clenching, and you open up your palms and turn it over to your heavenly dad. And say, I trust you. Holy Spirit, help us to do that. With a specific thing in our mind right now. If you're having trouble doing that, I want the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to show you why. And what you'll find is that you you're having trouble letting go because you have a false picture of the Father. You're holding an untrustworthy picture of the Father, and therefore, of course, you have trouble letting stuff go. You really don't believe that He's on your side, that, he's, that he's, he's for your good, that He's for you and not against you. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit from folks who have that, who have a picture of God that's been polluted by their earthly father or earthly parent, mother, uh, uncle, It could be polluted by a lot of sources. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to right now purify your picture of the heavenly Dad. Can you See him in all of his glory. Can you see that his heart is a Calvary heart? He's the God who runs after you. He really is that beautiful. A God who delights in you. He really is that beautiful. A God who is always defending you. He really is that beautiful. And maybe he's completely unlike your earthly father or earthly mother. Let that be so, if that's so. But will you now embrace and trust the beautiful father? and then let everything else go. Dance carefree like a child who doesn't have a care in the world. Holy Spirit, free us to do that. Free us to do that. And Lord, we confess that you are Heavenly Father. uh, The world is yours and we are yours and all that we have is yours. And we want our life to be spent and our time to be spent and our money to be spent under your direction. And now, Lord God, we take up this offering as an act of praise to you as we go into this second time of worship. Be glorified here. Lead us and direct us on how you would want us, your children, to steward your resources. We give you all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God.
1: For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My was not hidden from you when i was made in the secret place when i was woven together in the depths of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be search me O god and know my heart Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
0: Christian honky-tonk. We got a new genre here. Christian need more cowbell. More cowbell. No, no. Christian honky-tonk. Love it. Love it. Praise God. Can I ask the prayer team to come up here? And if you're here uh, and have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, uh, you can either come and just kneel at the altar if you want, or you want to pray with these folks, they'd love to uh, pray with you. If you're here this morning and you're not uh, surrendered to Jesus Christ, Notice I didn't say what you believe, but are you surrendered? I really encourage you to come forward and talk to these folks, and uh, they'll explain to you what it is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to end with this prayer. Father, uh, God, free us from all the cares of the world. uh, To be passionately invested in the world and the issues of the world, to manifest your character and love to the world, but to not be anxious. To have that peace that passes all understanding permeating our life. To manifest to the world, God, the freedom of what it is to trust in you, to surrender all to you, and to walk in that, Lord. Uh, Just just suck out of this room all the worries and anxieties that we carry with us and help us to live free, to dance passionately in life like a carefree child who knows daddy delights in him or her. And uh, help us spread that good news to others in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. If you want to uh, help out with the documentary, they're out in the, uh, outside the gathering area. And so stop by there. Love each other. Greet each other. Make each other welcome in Jesus' name.